I invite you to turn tonight to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. At the end of our service tonight, we'll have the Lord's Supper. Um, But I would like us, before we do that, to reflect on a few things tonight, on what David writes. And we're just going to look tonight at the first 11 verses. Follow along with me in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. What rests in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Father, we thank you for the time we have over the next few minutes to look at your word tonight. Thank you for bringing the shields with us here tonight and for the ministry that you've burdened on their hearts to be a part of in Australia. Lord, we ask that you would go before them over the next couple weeks as they have a few things left to tie up before they leave for their survey trip. We do pray that you would give them a safe trip and a wonderful time there. And we ask that you would help us to remember them as they go forward in ministry here and be a part of their ministry. Lord, we, um, we ask now as we open your word that you'd meet with us, you'd speak to us tonight through it that we would be challenged in these thoughts of how we can live a consistent faith in a a crazy world that we live in today. And Lord, we ask that you would um, have your way in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Consistency is a valued trait in our world today. Um, You don't have to look very far beyond the world of, of things like athletics for that. If an athlete consistently excels in his sport, you're going to find that, that an athlete like that receives a very large contract um, and, and is rewarded for that. If a businesswoman shows herself consistent in her performance, she may be promoted or given greater benefits. If a person in your life shows themselves consistently caring and loyal, then they usually become a trusted friend. And consistency is, is something that God wants to produce in the life of his followers. No matter what is going on in the world or in our personal lives, we can live out our faith consistently in him, consistently growing in his grace. And that's not to say, just to say this, that God isn't looking for perfection. You know, another word that we often use when we talk about consistency when it comes to living out our Christian life is this idea of faithfulness. He has given us in his word the tools to live faithful lives. Now, admittedly, faithfulness and because this idea of consistency, uh, to trust in God, is sometimes discouraged by what we observe in our world. Uh, the sinful tone that our world sets and, and even celebrates seems to sometimes set us back and draw us away from focusing on our God. Have you ever found that in your Christian life and in your Christian walk, that you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to please the Lord, and you're trying to honor Him, and you're trying to trust Him with everything you have, but you look around at the world you live in, 
and the things that are promoted, and you're discouraged by what you see. And, and, and you, as you look out there, it becomes harder to do what you know you're supposed to do. But with God's help, we can live faithfully for God and, and see his glory magnified. David here shares this perspective of what we need for consistent faith in a crazy world. And what we see is because God is consistently good, I must focus on him to live a consistent life for his glory. The calling of every Christian is to live a life that glorifies God. Now, that, that, that life then means that we are growing and we're changing. It means that no matter what comes in our life, we're, we're, we're faithfully walking with him. And the only way to do that is to focus on the one who is good, to focus on, on our God, and uh, to trust in him to live that life for his glory. Um, we are saved from our sin to live a life for the Lord, but we have to live that life in him. We need his help to continue to live that out. Um, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. How many of us wish that, you know, once you know the Lord is your Savior, your, your life just changed completely and you never did anything wrong again. You never struggled again, but that's not the case. And so we look at the life of a man here tonight. Psalm 37 was written uh, by the greatest king that Israel ever had, David. A man who was described as a man after what? God's own heart. I mean, there are a lot of descriptions in the Bible. I think that's the best. I mean, I don't think you can get much better than that. And yet, read the words, listen to the things that he says tonight, and understand that even as he speaks under the, the inspiration of God, these are things that, that he wrestled with in his own heart, in his own life. Because David lived in a sinful world just like anybody else. But the things we find here and the commands that, that are given to us by God help us to to, to frame in the world that we see and see it through the lens of, of his word and walk faithfully with him. So if we look at verses 1 and 2, the first thing we see in this passage is what we may call the problem of evil. And we see that evil has the seeming upper hand in the world we live in. David says in, in verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So David, David begins this psalm I mean, from the very beginning with an admonition that's given in the negative, that, that a servant of God should not fret because of evildoers. That's an interesting word, um, fret, because I think when we think of the word fret, we think of worry, we think of you know, wringing your hands, we think of maybe staying up late. The idea behind this Hebrew word is to, it means to burn or to get heated up over something. And, and, and indeed, sin stirs something within us at times. We look around and we see a world full of sin. But more than that, not only do we see a world full of sin, but we see uh, sin and its causes um, and, 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 its, and things like that. that They're promoted, they're advanced, uh, sometimes they're even celebrated. You know, we have things where, where something is, is truly wrong and truly goes against the word of God, yet, yet our world celebrates that as a sinful world that we live in. And in these moments, I think it's very easy that we face the temptation to grow angry over the prevalence of sin and evil in our society. And certainly, we shouldn't feel any love for sin if we're followers of God. Um, if we've been regenerated and, and we have experienced a new birth and, and, we, and are, 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 we're being renewed day by day in the things of God, we shouldn't feel a love for the things uh, of our former life. But... Uh, you know, it shouldn't drive us into despair and hatred either. 
It shouldn't cause us to to direct anger at a person or God. You know, there are some Christians that live an angry life and excuse it as some sort of righteous indignation. It doesn't serve anyone any good. It's okay to be, to be angry at sin. It's okay to be upset at what sin does. I, it's okay to hate sin and what it does to our lives. I, I hate sin. I hope you hate sin and what it does to our hearts and our, and our, and our families and our communities. But we can't take that hatred of, of sin, which is what God even experiences, and turn it into a hatred that we just live out in our lives all the time. Or this, this idea of we're just so frustrated all the time. In fact, if we stew in this anger... It can lead us down another path that David warns about in this verse 1. He says, don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. In a world permeated with sin, we're just going to understand this, okay? The wicked are going to do well in a world that's permeated with sin. It seems like those who leave God out of life come out on top in this life. Meanwhile, those who try to do the right thing suffer and don't do as well. In fact, Oftentimes, those who stand up for what is right are marginalized in our society. You know, every day, on the daily, you hear this message preach, that we all need to be a little more tolerant, that we need to tolerate other people and their views and where they come from in life. And then the things that are truly right aren't tolerated at all. And and again, we, we can become envious easily by that. Now, you may never look at, at a lost person's state as a Christian and think, well, I just wish that I had what they had. I just want to go where they're going. Because if you understand eternity, you're not envious of the end, but you may be envious of the journey, right, of the things that they experience. And, you know, it's interesting. There's another, another man who wrote a psalm or several psalms. His name is Asaph. And he admitted some thoughts in this regard as well. Psalm 73, verses 3 through 5 For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. I've mentioned Psalm 73 before, and I would encourage you to go and and read and study it sometime and see the end of all things that, that Asaph came to in this. But understand, we live in a fallen, broken world that exalts fallen, broken things. And because the world is broken, it continues to elevate that which looks like itself. Yes, the world is always looking for for something different. I thought that was a a great testimony tonight about how we can reach out to the world we live in. Yet, while it is looking for something different, it's also exalting that which looks like itself at the same time. It's an interesting concept. But there is no cause for God's people to heat up or grow desirous of those who practice such things and what they seem to enjoy. And David very practically tells us in verse 2 with the problem of evil why it is we should avoid these types of mentalities in our hearts and our lives. Verse 2 says, For they shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. We have to understand that, that evil has a temporary nature. Evil and wickedness may seem to enjoy the upper hand on this earth that is plagued by sin, but one day... The temporal nature of such things will be just that, temporal and gone. And just like grass and green herbs in the dry, arid climate of a place like Israel would wither quickly when the water of the rainy seasons is gone, so too the evildoers will fade when God declares their time is done. You look around and you, and you look at a world that's, again, prolifer- that, that, that sin is, is, is proliferated in our world today. 
And you wonder, well, why does this happen? Why does this continue on? Because God is merciful and gracious and has not declared ultimate judgment. And, and sometimes we think, well, if I were God, those are dangerous thoughts, by the way. When we say, well, if I were God, because what comes next is the very reason why you and I are not God. If I were God, I would judge all of those people. Then none of us would be sitting here tonight. But because God is merciful and because God is gracious, um, he hasn't fulfilled the final judgment of all wickedness yet. Now, that day is coming because God doesn't let evil go unchecked forever. And when he says the time is up, there is nothing left but decline on, the, on, on those who do wickedness. Even the things the wicked seem to enjoy and prosper in endlessly in this life will disappear. Their possessions, their money, their power, and other things on this earth will fade away. They only last this little while and cannot be carried into eternity. And God will judge sinners because they have rejected him. And though they may have enjoyed prosperity in this life, they will face a different fate in eternity. And the end will come suddenly. And if we focus on the temporal, we lose sight of the eternal. And it's really easy in our lives to focus on the temporal because we live very temporal, you know, we live lives very consumed with the temporal. We have a lot of things to do on a given day. I don't know about you, but our family's a busy family. You know, you probably are pretty busy too. Um, You've got a lot of places to go and a lot of people to see and a lot of things that you had to do yesterday. And so it's really easy to get caught up in these things, but don't get so caught up in the things of the temporal. Don't get so caught up in what's going on in the world around us that we lose sight of the eternal. And, and, and David talks about the end of the wicked to give us some perspective on why we shouldn't be envious of those things. But he does not tell us those things uh, so that we will revel in it either. I think that's another thing that sometimes as Christians, we may have a tendency to, towards if we're not careful, that we think, well, you just wait. One day you're going to get what's coming to you. God doesn't sit in heaven laughing and hoping and maniacally looking forward to those things. In his mercy and his grace and his compassion, he he would have that all would come to repentance, but he will still judge sin and his wrath will be revealed against sin. And, And so it should motivate us to reach out to those who are around us. No one in his right mind would trade temporal happiness and comfort for eternal security. So instead of spending our time fretting over the wicked or envying their seeming success, David tells us how we should live our lives and use our time. We can instead experience the peace of God in our lives instead of the turmoil of looking around. And we see that in the the bulk of what we're going to look at tonight in the peace of God that you and I can experience in our lives. See, here's something that if you follow the Lord and you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you can experience the peace of God in the midst of a crazy world. And David tells us how to do that. In these verses, verses 3 through 8, there are four positive admonitions, commands really, for those who would live godly. That instead of fretting over sin, and instead of fretting over sinners, or envying their false peace, here's how to enjoy true and lasting peace with God that permeates your entire life. First, David says in verse 3, that we need to live a life of trust. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Instead of worrying about what other people do, we should rest completely in God. 
So when we look around and we begin to fret over the evil and we begin to, to, to get heated up at these things, we begin to become envious of that, what, what we're really doing is, is showing a lack of trust in God. Sure, we may have trusted God with our eternal souls, but we don't trust God to take care of our temporal needs all of a sudden. We say, well, look at that. I mean, look at this. Look at this. They're getting away with that. We, we get upset over these things. And true trust results in action in our lives. You see, we, we show our trust in God by acting upon that faith and doing right. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. No matter what is going on in the world around us, we can rest in God because God will meet the needs that we have. And though it may seem the wicked may have the upper hand, God promises to be faithful to those who are faithful to him. We may be tempted to go away from God or take shortcuts to get ahead, but but what David reiterates to us is that what we need instead is trust in God and who he is. The people of Israel, they were tempted with this time after time after time. And I specifically uh, would point your attention to the time of the judges when they walked away from God. And and the theme of the book of Judges uh, of how every man did what was right in his own eyes. And we're told specifically there's there's a little book uh, in the Old Testament called the book of Ruth. And that whole book takes place during the time of Judges. Um, and what you find at the beginning of the, of the book of Ruth is, is, is talking about one specific family, but what people did is they abandoned the land that God had given them because of his judgment that he was bringing on their sin. And instead of turning back to him and trusting in him, they were trying to find their own way out of things. But God continued to show himself strong and continued to show himself able to care for those who trusted in him. And the same is true for our lives today. When we look around in the world and we see people doing things that, that are wrong and seem to be doing okay, sometimes we think, well, maybe I could do that and get away with it. True trust in God says, I'm going to do right no matter what. I'm going to follow God no matter what. I'm going to give him first place in my life and do what he calls me to do. So we trust him with everything we are and everything we have. Secondly, David says, if we're going to live uh, faithfully, uh, consistent faith in a crazy world, we need to delight in God. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Charles Spurgeon, the, the, um, the, he was an English preacher in the last couple hundred years here, really in the 1900s. Um, he said that this verse, verse 4, teaches us in a sense to imitate the wicked in this way. That the wicked delight in their portion, and so too should we delight in ours. The wicked delight in the things of this world. They delight in their sin and the things they can get in the here and now. And we get this mentality that, well, I guess God's servants just suffer and we have to just watch them delight. We have something greater to delight in. We have God. And that's what David tells us to do. Stop looking and being envious. Stop, stop, Stop being fretful over these things, but instead delight in God. Delight in the king of kings. Delight in the one uh, whom you follow. And as we trust God more each day, he should become our consistent delight and focus. And instead of looking around and living lives full of envy, we should look up and live lives full of God. He is a righteous God who calls us to come to him in faith. And our life's joy should be our relationship with God. We should find ourselves longing to spend time with him and longing to serve him. And as we do this, the desires of our heart 
will be met. I think this is one of those verses that over the years that has gotten talked about a lot because we think, well, what does that mean that he should give you the desires of your heart? Well, it doesn't mean, this is not a promise of health, wealth, and a condo on the beach, okay? But this is a promise that you and I can and will be truly satisfied in God. One author said it this way, one who delights himself in him will have righteous desires. See, as we, as we delight in God, his desires become our desires, and, and he meets those. And God gives good things to his servants as they serve him increasingly and, and desire him increasingly in their lives. And the pastor Warren Wearsby said, this is not a promise for people who want things, but for those who want more of God in their lives. And you, have, you and I have to ask ourselves this question, what do you want in life? Do you want more things or do you want more of God? And I know, right, the Sunday school answer is we all sit in church and we say, oh yeah, we want more of God. What does your life say? What does your, what, what your spouse say? What does your, your close friend say? What does your kids say? What do your parents say that you want out of your life? By the way you live your life, what does it say? What do you want in life? Do you want more of this world or do you want more of God? Because to the one that wants more of God, God meets that need. He gives you more of himself. He draws you closer to himself. Then David gives us The third thing that we should do is that we should commit. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. See here, we must commit our way to the Lord. The idea of this word, okay, it's not talking about, um, you know, I've committed this to God or this. But really it's it's an idea of, of rolling something away like a burden onto the Lord. Instead of fretting, we leave to God the details of justice and life. We should give to him the control that he is due in our lives. And in the end, David says in verse 6, that God will vindicate his righteous, faithful servants. As sure as light is coming every day, God's correction of all things is coming. God always balances the scales, and he will establish justice and right and punish evil. But, but sometimes we, again, we get ahead of that, and we become these Christian social justice warriors that we have to go out and right all the wrongs, and, and generally, they're all the wrongs that we have felt in our life, right? They're not just wrongs in general, but they're all the things that we got offended about. And David tells us, listen, that's God's business. At the end of the day, God's the one who's going to fix these things. You roll that on him. You you commit that to him. You commit the way that you're living your life to him. Let him take care of the details. I think back to um, our study of Nehemiah that we had uh, a few months back. And how many times we saw Nehemiah do that in his own life. Just just commit to God to to, to take care of, of what God's going to take care of. I'm going to take care of what he's called me to do. I'm going to be faithful. And if we do that, we can do the last one that David calls us to do. He calls us to rest. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Lastly, David tells us to wait patiently 
for God to rest. Rest here carries the idea of be silent or be still. And what it describes is a calm surrender to God and his ways. Our way is to fret. Our way is to grow angry. Our way is to take action to our own hands. And instead, we're told to forsake anger and forsake the fretting because man's anger does not produce God's peace. Only waiting silently before and in the Lord can bring the experience of God's blessed peace in our lives. We have God's promises to rest in, so let us continue to retreat to him alone. And these are the things that we as followers of God are called to do. We're called to trust God in all things, to delight in him above all else, to commit our ways to him, let him be in control, and to rest in him silently awaiting his action. And and this response provides us with the the, the second of the two-sided coin. You can either spend your life worried about all the things you see in the crazy, messed up, sinful world, or you can spend your life focused on an eternal God and living for him. And, and one of those is going to end, at the end of the day, one of those is going to end well and one of them's not. Many a Christian has been eaten up by the things of this world, whether he's worried about them or consumed with them, and has missed the blessings of, of a peaceful relationship with God. And then we see that David wraps it all up with, with, the, with the two sides of, of this coin, not only the way we respond, but, but we also have the, the way of the evildoer and the way of the follower of God. And again, this just shows us the sovereignty of God in all of these things and why we can rest in him and why we can trust in him and why we can commit our way to him and why we should delight ourselves in him because of the end that's coming. And we see in verses 9 through 11 as we wrap things up here, the product of these choices that are made. We see that there is an end to evil. It says, for evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. God's judgment on sin and sinners always comes. And when it does, nothing is left standing. I don't know who said it. I heard one of my pastors in the past say it over and over again. The wheels of God's justice turn slow, but they grind mighty fine. At the end of it all, Evil will have no victory to claim. God will sovereignly wipe out sin and sinners and Satan and condemn them to eternity separated from him in judgment because of their choice of sin. And you can look for it, David says, all you want, but you will find no place for the wicked when God closes the book on evil. God's full and complete judgment comes beyond this life. And in this, his grace and his mercy are exercised because He gives mankind the opportunity to repent of sin and turn to him. I mentioned that earlier. That if if God executed judgment on our timetable, there would be no room for the mercy and the judgment and the grace of God. But understand this, that when the time is gone, that's it. There is no hope. And the end of those who live in God, though, is a different thing. Instead of the end, we see the end of evil, but we also see the inheritance of the righteous. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You see, while evildoers face eternal judgment, those who trust in the Lord 
will enjoy eternal inheritance. Those who wait on God and those who rest in him are described as being meek. Meekness is not weakness, but this idea of power under control through faith in God. It is a recognition that we don't have to fight for our own rights and causes. Sure, we should stand up for what is right, and we should do what God has given us the opportunity to do, but realize that ultimate control and ultimate sovereignty belongs to him. And those who wait on the Lord, trusting, delighting, committing, and resting in him, will inherit the earth. They will have peace abundantly in him. Jesus reiterated this this, um, verse, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 5, maybe you recognized it from when you read it here, but Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One day, the followers of God will inherit a new earth under his perfect rule. And guess what? You and I won't have to lift a finger for it because that's God's work. He is the one who will perform it to the praise of his glory. So, so how do you and I live a consistent faith in a crazy world? We live it because God is consistently good. We must focus on him to live that consistent life for his glory. In a crazy world, we need an eternal perspective to practice consistent faith in God. Belief in God translates in our lives into actions for God. We need to trust him and live out that trust. He calls for our complete trust and delight, commitment, and rest in himself. And our lives will show us who or what we trust in at any given moment if we will simply step back and look. I said that a minute ago. What does your life say about you? Are you one consumed with the Savior or with the things of the world? In our own lives, we may be given to idolatry because idolatry is giving priority to anything other than God. And we cannot enjoy the blessings and ignore the blesser. That's sin. Satan would have us believe that this world promises happiness. He would have us believe evil will win the day. But the reality is that an unbeliever may enjoy the things of this earth for a time. Listen, I mean, just think about it. Think about someone who who doesn't know the Lord. If they get lucky, they'll have something that they enjoy for a lifetime. A relationship, a, a job, uh, some, some, some money. You know, maybe, they get, maybe they get lucky, right, so to speak. Maybe, maybe, maybe God and his providence allows them to enjoy something on this earth. But that's it. When they die, it's the end of it. God will show, him, show a person like that what truly mattered. It'll be too late. It doesn't matter how great it looks on the outside, a life without peace with God is a life of insecurity. We don't have to live lives of insecurity because the greatest security is found in Jesus Christ. And as we look around in the world we live in, let us not be filled with fret and anger, but with compassion and with burden. Let us be filled with courage and and, and, and a commitment to God. Let us proclaim the message of the gospel and live out that message with our lives.